This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, November 8th, 2021 on your public radio station, KUAF, a listener-supported service of the University of Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kellums. Today, we'll talk with writer Susan Orlean. She's written books and articles about a wide swath of subjects from libraries to Ren 1010 to the world of high-stakes orchids. That book, The Orchid Thief, was the inspiration for the movie adaptation. Sunday afternoon, she'll be at the Fayetteville Public Library, and later on our show, she'll discuss the methods she uses to find subjects for her work. Always looking for stories, and I feel like my antenna are always swiveling at the prospect of something that I'm overhearing or just uh, coming across accidentally as having the potential to be a story. And just ahead, Arkansas's population is at higher risk for strokes in the rest of the country. We'll talk with Dr. Margaret Tremwell, the medical director for the Washington Regional Stroke Program, about reducing the risk of stroke. Friday, the Faye Jones School of Architecture and Design broke ground on a new facility, the Anthony Timberland Center for Design and Materials Innovation. University of Arkansas officials say the new center will showcase efforts to use the state's forests in construction. The building is named after John Ed Anthony, a longtime timberman, and his wife, Isabel. During the groundbreaking Friday, Anthony praised the school's dean, Peter McKeith, for championing the state's timber industry. When he came to Arkansas, the first thing he noted was the importance of the forest here. He immediately began advocating for recognition and enhancements of Arkansas's largest manufacturing industry, which provides the jobs and prosperity for our community. Dean McKeith says the building, located in the Wingate Art and Design District, south of the main campus, will be a reflection of the state's forests. I propose that we can always be more, perhaps, than what the rest of the world thinks we can be. The way I focus this to those in the uh, university, but also across the state, was what does it mean to be a land-grant public university and a school of architecture and design in a state that is nearly 60% forest? Construction on the 45,000-square-foot center will begin in early 2022. There are 266 new cases of COVID-19 in Arkansas from Sunday's numbers delivered by the Arkansas Department of Health. There are 14 newly confirmed deaths and 10 more Arkansans in the hospital from the disease than the previous 24 hours. A new law is in effect in Fayetteville that lowers the standard speed limit for residential streets to 20 miles per hour. All other streets with existing signage will remain at 25 miles per hour, but the speed will eventually be lowered over time. Fayetteville City Council member Sloan Scroggins says he's seen a rise in alternative transportation, such as bicycles and scooters, and that it's important to implement the lowered speed limit in places where that's taking place. Thirteen locations are set to change speed limits surrounding the University of Arkansas campus. The Rogers Public Education Foundation is announcing four new honorees that will be added to their Wall of Distinction this spring. Those selected include Clarice Moore, Philip Martin, Gary Jackson, and Gloria Hopper. The recipients are being recognized for their dedication to serving others through education. The celebration will be on April 21st at the Rogers Convention Center. The Arkansas Department of Agriculture is recognizing more than 30 farms in the state as new century farm inductees, meaning farmland owned by the same family for more than 100 years. Among those recognized are the Douglas Family Farm in Benton County, established in 1870, the D. Scroggins Family Farm in Carroll County, established in 1884, and Iron Creek Farm in Yale County, established in 1896. A familiar result for the Arkansas Razorback soccer team in the SEC Tournament Championship yesterday afternoon in Orange Beach, Alabama. The Razorbacks lost. It's the sixth consecutive year the Razorbacks have made it to the SEC Tournament Finals, only to lose. Those losses have all come to six different teams. Razorbacks lost to Tennessee yesterday 3-0. Razorbacks are ranked fifth in the national polling and will receive their seeding placement for the NCAA Tournament later today. This is Ozarks at Large. More than half of Arkansas residents have high blood pressure. That's a leading cause of strokes. The state is higher than the national averages when it comes to hypertension and other stroke-related factors like diabetes. 
And the state's population also struggles with diet and weight issues that can also lead to stroke. In recent years, the Arkansas Department of Health has created the Arkansas Stroke Registry to optimize the care for stroke patients, but also to increase public awareness about stroke prevention. We recently reached Dr. Margaret Tremwell, the director for the Washington Regional Stroke Program. She says many of the risk factors for stroke can be easily treated. With medical management and our lifestyle change, the biggest one is hypertension, and that's a silent killer. So you can have hypertension and actually not even know you have it. So it's best to go to your primary care physician for your annual wellness check and get your blood pressure checked. If your blood pressure is higher than 140 up for the top number and higher than 90 for the bottom number, then you need to have medication to get that blood pressure down. In between 120 and 140 and say 70 to 90, then physical activity, a heart healthy diet, those kinds of things can help bring the blood pressure down. She says about 30% of our Kansans have diabetes. That's another major contributing factor for strokes. And if you have diabetes, then you really want to get your blood pressure to be normal because with diabetes, automatically you have a higher risk of vascular disease or stroke. And so for those folks, they want to have their blood pressure less than 130 over 80 and medication to do that if necessary, otherwise diet and physical activity. But to treat the diabetes itself, the biggest thing a person can do for themselves is take a good heart-healthy diet that is low in the concentrated sweets. Dr. Tremwell says physical activity is an essential part of reducing both diabetes and stroke chances. At least five days a week of some kind of physical activity. It doesn't have to be strenuous. A 30-minute walk, gardening, vigorous house cleaning, yoga, tai chi, all count toward that goal. And Dr. Tremwell says attention to cholesterol levels important as well. The cholesterol that I'm talking about is your LDL cholesterol. So when you go to your doctor to for your annual checkup, you want to know what your LDL cholesterol is. And how I remember that L stands for, well, it's a low density, but I call it your lousy cholesterol. That's your bad cholesterol. And you want that to be less than 100. And if you have diabetes, you want it to be less than 70. Your good cholesterol, which is the HDL, which I call the heavenly cholesterol, and so that you want it to be higher than 45. And controlling cholesterol can be easier with diet, reducing carbs and concentrated sweets, eating more fruits and vegetables, reducing fried food from your diet, as well as trans fats. And the first step, knowing your numbers for blood pressure and cholesterol through wellness checks with your doctor. And when you go there, don't be passive. Ask what, what was my blood pressure when they say good, you want numbers. And what is my cholesterol? And if you have diabetes, ask what your hemoglobin A1C is, which is your average blood sugar over the past three months. And for diabetes, it needs to be less than seven. And if it's not, if you don't fit those parameters, your blood pressure is not where you want it, the cholesterol or whatever, then ask your doctor, well, what do I need to do or what do we need to do? Partner with your doctor to get these numbers down. And here's a very 2021 contributing ingredient to stroke risk. Stress. Stress can create a pro-inflammatory state in our bodies that can lead to cholesterol buildup. Dr. Tremwell says physical activity can help de-stress, as can other practices. Try to find an activity that de-stresses you. Some people, it could be just reading a nice novel. Some, it is physical activity. But I think one of the things that we have missed with COVID is that we really don't have that interaction with other humans, and then also that interaction with nature, where a lot of us, and particularly the elderly, have confined themselves pretty much to their home, at least until the vaccine came out, but now, you know, now it's until you get your booster. And so I think it's really important that you find some kind of an activity, be it uh, with intellectual or reading or that sort of thing, or socializing with Zoom, or getting out there in nature and get, getting a hobby or an activity. There are also important things to know about recognizing a stroke. Minutes count when a stroke is taking place because the sooner a stroke patient can be treated, the better the chances for a good recovery. Dr. Schwemwell says the phrase be fast can lead to quick recognition and faster care. And the B stands for uh, balance. So that means that you, you're walking and you're, these are all sudden onset. This is not building up over hours to days. This is like, kaboom, all of a sudden you have this. 
that you have a loss of balance or tax a gate, you're sort of walking like you're going to fall to one side or the other. The E is for the eyes, and that's either seeing double in your eyes or a loss of vision in one part of space or the other, one eye or the other, that sort of thing. The fast that face is F, and that's you have the person smile, and if one side doesn't go up and the other one does, that's a sign of stroke. And then the A is for the arms. You have them put their arms out straight, and if one falls down or drifts down, that suggests that they could be having a stroke. S is for speech, and you have them talk, and usually what I have them say is, it's a sunny day in Arkansas, and either they slur it or they can't say it, then that's a sign of stroke, and can't say it is they don't have language. They can't articulate they can't speak it's like they've lost their dictionary mm. and or they misuse words uh, mispronounce them terribly that sort of thing and then t stands for time and that is that we have a four and a half hour time window from when the symptoms first start to get that clot buster therapy that breaks up blood clots which is what causes strokes and can actually either partially or completely resolve a stroke but you have to get to the emergency room in enough time that we can do our evaluation and get you the clot buster. And then we have a longer period of time out to 24 hours that if you have a great big stroke, which we call a large vessel occlusion, and that's usually like I can't move one side or I can't speak or I've lost my vision, something like that, or I can't move my eyes, those strokes we could have out to 24 hours where we could put a catheter through the groin, thread that up to the head, deploy a stent in the middle of the clot, capture that clot, collapse the stent, and pull stent, clot, everything out. And we have seen some absolute miracles from that, that people that are absolutely devastated when they come into the ER, going to a nursing home, we don't do anything. And we can actually have them to the point where they, two days later, they walk out of the hospital. But Dr. Tremwell reminds us, diet and proper attention to medical conditions can help prevent a stroke at all, as well as can finding a physical activity you like. I understand hula dancing can also qualify. Absolutely. And I am a big proponent for hula dancing. Yes. Um, and I think that's a wonderful, it's relaxing, and it's an emotional expression of um, our relationship we have with nature. Dr. Margaret Trumwell is the medical director for Washington Regional Medical Center's stroke program. We talked with her via Zoom. The company formerly known as Facebook thinks the metaverse is the future of the internet, but is it the right company to lead us there? We're very much bringing our, our heritage and our past with us, both the good and the challenges that we faced. Certainly, it should not be controlled by a company who's demonstrated that they really put profits over people. This afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. All Things Considered today from 3 to 6 on KUAF 91.3. You can also listen by going to KUAF.com. And just ahead on Ozarks at Large, we talk with writer Susan Orlean ahead of her visit to the Fayetteville Public Library this Sunday. That's in about 60 seconds. Tomorrow, Walton Arts Center will host a blood drive by the University of Arkansas Red Cross Student Organization from 11 until 4, and there will be live entertainment provided. Cellist Christian Serrano-Torres will play from 11.30 to 1. Pianist Jason Burrow will provide music from 2 until 3.30. All blood and plasma donations will be screened for COVID-19. Donors are urged to schedule an appointment before arrival, and you can make that scheduled appointment at redcrossblood.org. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by the Almond Branch's grand opening the second week of November at 418 South Main in Harrison. Located beside Tallgrass Bar and Grill, the Almond Branch offers Patagonia gear and provisions, local art, organic health and beauty products, and more. Facebook slash The Almond Branch Harrison for more information. This is Ozarks at Large. Susan Orlean is an expert at finding topics that we don't often think about or at all or really even know about necessarily. Then creating fascinating essays, profiles, magazine articles, and books about those topics. Her book, The Orchid Thief, introduced us to the arresting world of prized orchids and the unseemly fringes of that world. Her collection on animals gathers her work about tigers, donkeys, dogs, and pandas. And Sunday, she'll be at the Fayetteville Public Library to discuss, appropriately, the library book. That book investigates a 1986 fire at the Los Angeles Public Library specifically and is a love letter generally to our libraries. 
Recently, we reached Susan Orlean and asked her if she goes hunting for the subjects for her work or if those subjects find her. Ah, that's a great question. And the answer is um, a bit of the same. I am always looking for stories, and I feel like my antenna are always swiveling at the prospect of something that I'm overhearing or just uh, coming across accidentally as having the potential to be a story. So I'm always... Um, I'm always paying attention to the world in that way. And in that sense, I'm always looking for stories um, and, and always keeping my eyes open with that as the possible outcome of my being out in the world. And often, as we know in the latest book, often that subject whether before book or magazine, will be four-legged or feathered. Exactly. And, you know, I've written about a huge range of things, without a doubt. And I have one collection that's all profiles, one collection that's um, stories about places. So I've, um, I've certainly covered a lot of territory, but... I have a particular fondness for writing about animals and they present a, a really interesting challenge. And I find the subject very compelling. It's also um, a way of writing about, frankly, the world at large, even though I'm writing about animals, there's, always a bigger story there about human life and the the kind of um, the way we fit into the universe. Uh, And that includes fitting in with this other universe, which is the universe of animals. It's interesting because if you're profiling a person, and I guess we never really get to know someone, but you get an idea. You can talk to them. There's a certain amount of things you can know and find out. If it's an animal, that's not always the case. Exactly. And that's a limitation that you always live with, um, namely that you'll never be able to cross this language barrier (laughs) Um, the, the most fundamental way we relate to other beings, which is to talk and listen, that's not available to us when we're trying to connect with animals. And when you're trying to write about them, every question that you might answer through the means of language, that's not available to you. So it's a little like, um, I suppose, playing catch with one hand tied behind your back. I mean, something that is so fundamental to the way we relate to other beings is not um, not available. So you have to learn to work around that and to try to imagine the experiences of these other beings without that way of relating to them. And, and it's a challenge for us in general. I mean, who hasn't ever looked at their dog and tried to figure out what their dog was trying to say to them? I mean, that's a very common experience, but as a writer, it's a a very uh, intriguing and, sometimes frustrating limitation to how you write about something. I'm speaking with Susan Orlean. She will be at the Fayetteville Public Library on November 14th. Speaking of libraries, you, you, not a surprise for a writer, you love libraries. You actually have a book called The Library Book. Exactly. This was the um, project that I did most recently before on animals. I wrote 
I spent many years working on it, and it's uh, essentially the story of the Los Angeles Public Library and more specifically the story of an epic arson fire there in 1986 that closed the library for seven years. When when you're writing about whether it's a profile or whether it's going to be a book or whether it's about Rin Tin Tin, which is an amazing uh, piece of work, is there something in the in you that tells you, okay, I've got enough, I'm going to be ending this now, or is there always a desire to dig just a little bit deeper? There's always that knowledge that there is more to learn. There's no subject you could ever learn so thoroughly that you could sit back and say, well, now I know everything there could possibly be to learn about the LA Public Library. You know, it would be a very uh, foolish assumption to make. There, it's just simply not possible to to learn every single thing there is to know about about anything, honestly. But there is a point um, and I think it's a very important instinct to have as a writer, the point where you think, I'm ready. I'm, I know enough. I know enough to tell this story thoroughly and intelligently. It doesn't mean that there isn't more to learn, because as, as I said, there is always more to learn. But a point where intuitively you know that you know the subject well, you know the narrative that you're trying to tell and that you're ready to share it with readers. I imagine you have to juggle that you've probably got project A over here, project B, and you're doing them somewhat simultaneously. Yeah, I don't love that. And I try hard to avoid that because I'm really better focusing on one thing at a time. Um, and that that's my ideal is to just have one project going at a time. On the other hand, I'm also somebody who has a real appetite for taking on projects. So it, it turns out that whether I mean to or not, I almost always end up having more than one thing going at once. And I have to kind of take off a hat and put on another hat regularly to switch uh, what my brain is kind of engaged with um, going from a story about, say, donkeys to writing a piece about, about, uh, writing or working on a screenplay. I mean, there, there are, I'm, I'm juggling enough things now that I, I have to be pretty limber and able to go from one of these projects to another. Is it, is it like, do you have to cleanse the palate like you were, you know, taste testing wines? I mean, if you're writing that profile of the donkey and then, okay, I've got to do some work on the screenplay. Do you have to get up and, 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 and just stop the process for at least a few minutes? Oh, yeah. Um, in fact, more than a few. <laughs> as much as I shouldn't admit that, I think I need, um, I really need to kind of break off from one and usually do something completely unrelated to either subject, whether it's to go weed my garden or go for a walk or just do something that is completely not related to writing and then come back and um, sort of put on my, the next hat and focus on, on a different subject. And I think it's important to be able to do that, but it does take a little, as you say, a palate cleanser is ideal, you know, just a, a chance to, 
take a deep breath and not think about anything that I'm writing and, um, and then sit down with sort of fresh eyes. Finally, you strike me as someone who is incredibly curious about the world. Is that a fair assessment? Oh, yeah. So does that make it difficult to take a break? Because I would think that even if you're in the garden, you might look down and see, you know, some small creature and think, and your curiosity goes. So on some level, you may always be thinking about another project. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's a two-way street. I think I became a writer because I do look at the world that way. And I look at that wor- the world that way because I'm a writer. Um, that I look at the world at the as a place sort of brimming with stories that interest me, and and brimming with topics I know very little about that I, given the chance, I want to learn about. So that's the, um, I think that's the impulse that is always with me, whatever, whatever I'm doing, wherever I go. I mean, a lot of times I've come up with ideas when I'm doing something, uh, like traveling for, for pleasure. And, you know, I, instead of thinking, good, I'm going to go to the beach, I see something that makes me think, oh, that would be a good story. And that's the nature of being a writer. But I also think that's always the way I've been. And that's why I became a writer. Susan Orlean will be at the Fayetteville Public Library November 14th. You can learn much more about her, see a list of her books, links to profiles that she's done for the New York and other publications at SusanOrlean.com. Thank you so much for your time. We look forward to your visit to Fayetteville. Same here. I'm delighted and looking forward to it so much. Susan Orlean is the author of several books and articles, including The Orchid Thief, On Animals, and the library book. Her talk at the Fayetteville Public Library is Sunday afternoon at 2. The event is free, but the library asks for planning purposes that you register in advance at faylib.org. And please note, registering does not guarantee a space, so it is highly suggested that you arrive early Sunday to ensure that you do have a seat. I'm Scott Tong. People in black and brown communities are routinely getting less sleep. Noise is a problem. Light pollution is a problem. Temperature fluctuation in those high-rise buildings in Brooklyn, New York, are significant problems. Health officials say sleep inequity can have serious consequences. That's next time on Here and Now. Here and Now this afternoon, beginning at 1 on KUAF, and you can always listen to us by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF. A reminder that Gloria Steinem will be speaking on the University of Arkansas campus later this week. She'll take part in a moderated question and answer session as part of the Distinguished Lectures Committee series. It starts at 7 o'clock Wednesday night at the Faulkner Performing Arts Center on the U of A campus. The event is free. It's open to the public. Doors Wednesday night will open at 6.30. Walton Arts Center's 10 by 10 Arts Series presents Cirque Mechanics Birdhouse Factory, Thursday, November 18th. Trapeze artists, contortionists, acrobats, and unicyclists emerge in an unexpected setting for a circus, a factory. When a bird is injured in the factory, the workers take action and the show takes flight. WaltonArtsCenter.org or 443-5600 for tickets. Arkansas Community Foundation offers tools to make charitable giving easy, flexible, and efficient during this holiday season and all year long. Inspiring solutions to build Arkansas communities. arcf.org slash smartgiving for information. A reminder that it's easy to leave a message for KUAF and your community by using the Connect button on the KUAF app for iPhone. Current topics include Ask a Journalist. You can ask your questions about how journalism works. We'll bring you the answers right here on Ozarks at Large. There's another prompt called Giving Thanks. It lets you share what you're thankful for as we're moving ever so quickly into the holiday season. Or you can just share your story with KUAF listeners. Just download the free KUAF app for iPhone at the App Store. 
Click on the Connect button at the bottom of the screen. Set up your account. Doesn't take very long at all. Then leave your message. And yes, you can listen to your message again before you send it to us. You can also call our Connect line. It's a landline at 575-6577. That's a 479 area code. So 479-575-6577. Connect with your community with the help of KUAF. You're watching KATV Channel 7. This is the 94 Vote. Live election coverage from Arkansas's Emmy Award-winning election team, Channel 7 News. This is Ozarks at Large. You probably know by now, if you're a regular Monday listener, that that means Randy Dixon is going to tell us what we just heard. Randy Dixon with the Prior Center for Arkansas Oral Visual History. What did we just hear? Well, it was 27 years ago today, on November 8th, 1994, it was midterm election. Uh, Bill Clinton was in the White House. Jim Guy Tucker had replaced him uh, and was running for re-election against Sheffield Nelson. Now, there was no Senate race that year, but we had two Democrats in the Senate, Dale Bumpers and David Pryor. But, of course, as there are every election, all the congressional seats right. were, were open. Um, we were very much a Democratic state at the time. There, there were a few Republicans that had— had been placed into office, but we were still very much uh, a democratic state, um, unlike today. I mean, com so I think every state, as we were going into election night, every state constitutional officer was a Democrat, and almost everyone that we were sending to D.C. was a Democrat. Almost. Almost. Yeah, that's not the way it is now. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, this was back in the day when when we'd, we'd go, as we called it, wall-to-wall -wall When you coverage. say we, you mean KATV. Yes. Well, all the, well, all the exactly. stations uh, did. It was very competitive. It was, uh, it was months in the making uh, because we made an effort uh, to be live from every campaign headquarters and watch party. And that's that's— we, we pulled out every piece of equipment we had, microwave, cameras, reporters, satellite trucks. And a lot of times we would borrow equipment from uh, our other stations. And I was producing our coverage that oh. night and uh, probably didn't leave the control room for six hours. I imagine not. Yeah. So let's talk about the election of 94 in Arkansas. Okay. Uh, well, and, and we'll kind of go through this yeah. the, the way we would do it on the air. Um, so we would pick pick a race, let's say the uh, attorney general's race. Mm -hmm. This was uh, incumbent Winston Bryant, who was a Democrat, uh, was uh, up against Dan Ivey. From who, northwest Arkansas. Yes, who we had mentioned mm -hmm. uh, several weeks ago, who mm -hmm. got into some legal trouble during right. the campaign. But uh, it was a landslide. Mr. Bryan, thanks for joining, joining us. You are obviously ecstatic about these numbers, I suppose. Very pleased, very pleased. I'll take 80-20 any time of the day, any time of the year. Now, you didn't have to get out and campaign quite as hard, but I understand you to say earlier that you weren't taking anything for granted. No, I did not take this race for granted, uh, and I, I, we've worked very hard uh, during the uh, fall season, and I had a tough primary race, so that prepared everybody for the race this fall. But I'm very pleased with the victory uh, margin that we apparently are going to get. And the real thing uh, that it does is it sends me a message that what I have been doing for the past four years to protect consumers, to protect the environment, uh, to protect the utility rate payers, to protect the seniors, our children, it, it sends me a message that that is what the people have approved, and so I'm going to continue to do that the next four years. We're listening to results from 27 years ago tonight. Yes, yes. <laughs> I remember it well. I bet you do. <laughs> All right, let's look at another race. Let's, let's talk about the four congressional districts. So let's start off going to northeast Arkansas. That's first district, mm -hmm. and it was Blanche Lambert. Oh, wow. Who is now Blanche Lincoln. Right. Uh, this was when she was running for re-election. She had served one term 
in Washington, and she beat Republican Warren Dupree. We have worked hard these two years to let people know that uh, that I'm willing to work hard, that I'm going to work hard with them to make things possible for this district, and I think people know that. Um, I come home every week. My husband's here in Arkansas. I'm the first member of Congress from this district to ever live in the district and actually commute to Washington. So I think people know that, that uh, I'm willing to give the time and the effort uh, to be here to listen to them, to know what their concerns are, to live with them, uh, and to understand what, what really needs to be done to make our home a better place. All right, so Blanche Lambert, who would later become Senator Blanche Lincoln, wins the 1st District, Northeast Arkansas. That's right. Yeah. So let's go to the 2nd District. All right. Uh, that is, well, Ray Thornton was the incumbent. He's Democrat. And uh, Bill Powell, who actually uh, had been a TV sports hmm. anchor at one point, uh, was the Republican. And Ray Thornton won that one, too. Ladies and gentlemen, the theme of our campaign has been Arkansas roots, Arkansas values. At a time when our hard-won democratic system of government has been trivialized by vicious campaigns, scattergun journalism, and pundits who would turn a important and serious business into a circus, I am so thrilled that the people of the 2nd Congressional District have responded to our positive campaign. Ray Thornton, of course, uh, congressman, uh, chancellor, president of the University of Arkansas, I think Arkansas and, State. And yes. Arkansas Attorney State. General. Yes. Didn't he serve on the Arkansas Supreme Court? I believe he did. I mean, that's quite the resume for Ray Thornton. Yes, it is. And he was also... And we, and we actually have a very long, in-depth interview with him on our website. And when he was a student at the University of Arkansas, I think he would sometimes perform as a musician. Oh, I didn't know that. I think so. Oh, Wow. I'll have to go back and okay, listen to yeah. his interview because I'm sure he talks about that. Uh, what do we go next? How about the 4th District? Okay. That's South Arkansas. Uh, and here's here we have a Republican, uh, the incumbent's Jay Dickey, and he was uh, opposed by a Democrat. He was a state senator, mm -hmm. uh, Jay Bradford, and Jay Dickey handily won that one. We've got some work to do. I know it's exciting, and, and this, this job is over for campaigning, but we got to start the job of bringing people together and getting the most out of government as we can without it being obtrusive and controlling our lives. I've got my family here with me. I don't know if you all can see them, but, but they're supporting me, and I love them. Uh, and, and, and they, I look to these kids and say this is what we need to do for America is to take care of their interests and so that they will have some, some hope. But I am so excited right now and relieved that, 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 that this is over. All right, so there's a Republican win. Now, oh, there's another Republican win. Right, because as blue as Arkansas ever got, the third district never was blue. Never. John Paul Hammerschmidt. Right. In office forever. Okay, let's. No, we can't say never because before John Paul Hammerschmidt in the first half of the 20th century. But yes. in living memory, it's yes. been read. That's true. And uh, he, uh, Tim Hutchinson, uh, retained his seat. He was. Uh, uh, and it was actually such a, a sound. When he, it was the first race called yeah. for the night. It was it was over really early. It was kind of called Saturday, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, the maybe third so. district. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, we knew that was coming. Right. Uh, so the big race was Jim Guy Tucker and Sheffield Nelson for governor, and they had debated mm -hmm. uh, here up here. Yeah. Yes, and it was carried live by KTV moderated. Um, so. Uh, let's hear from Jim Guy Tucker. I want to thank, uh, first of all, the voters of the state of Arkansas. I've had a lot of folks come up and uh, say this evening, members of the press, uh, how do you explain this race? Uh, you're a Democrat. You're an incumbent. Uh, you were close to Clinton. 
uh, you were uh, you were you were attacked by Whitewater folks in Washington and here locally. Uh, not only that, you supported a truly worthwhile tax in this state, the Medicaid tax. And they say, how do, you, how, do you, how do you explain winning under those circumstances? Well, the explanation is very simple. This is not a race where the credit goes to the victor in the form of the candidate. This is a race where every bit of the credit goes to the voters of the state of Arkansas who have once more demonstrated their ability to buck the tide, to look carefully at issues, to know the people who are running for office, to listen to them, and to do as they have done time and time and time again, and that is vote for the future of this state when they cast their vote. Jim Guy Tucker, who had become governor when Bill Clinton went to the White House, is reelected. Of course, he doesn't finish that term. That's true. And that's why this next race yeah. is so significant in hindsight. But uh, the the live shot you're about to hear, uh, when the reporter Tom Ryan uh, went on, I sort of cringed. Uh, and you'll, you'll hear why, but it ended up being so true. The lieutenant governor's race is notorious around the state for really being on the back burner, but this could very well turn out to be the most important uh, vote for our Kansans for two reasons, really. The uh, jury is still out on the health of Governor Jim Guy Tucker, although he told us just two days ago that he has not felt this good in 15 years. But, of course, when you have a million dollars sunk into a campaign, that's pretty much going to be the canned answer. Uh, second of all, se second of all um, he could very well get indicted. Now, of course, we're speculating here, but this is, is a race that the lieutenant governor could very well step up and not just secede or take the governor chair for two, three days while the governor is out of state, but could very well take it over for quite some time. Of course, that's purely speculation on this point. But Mike, how do you feel right now? Well, I tell you what, after uh, three straight years of campaigning, I'm the one who's worried about my health after all. Uh, I, <laughs> there may be a greater worry about that. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to speculate on that, but I do think that the people of Arkansas voted for someone rather than against someone in this race. And uh, we gave them every reason to do that, uh, having served, I think, uh, responsibly. And uh, it's, it's a very exciting thing to see the people of Arkansas come forward in an election like this and give you their confidence, especially with what appears to be on the way toward a record number for a Republican in a statewide race. And I'm just mighty grateful to some wonderful supporters. We'll still wait and see how the rest of the results come in, but it sure looks good early. People that was pretty funny. Yes, it was. <laughs> People will often say the lieutenant governor's race doesn't matter. Right. Well, guess what? It does. Yes, especially in this case. Mm -hmm. and, and Tom even alluded to that yeah. and, and the reasons why. And both those cases were true. Um, Jim Guy Tucker was indicted. He did have failing health. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, that ended up being uh, kind of a gem. <laughs> yeah. So Mike Huckabee becomes lieutenant governor. And later, uh, two years later, governor. Right. Then yeah. re-elected. Re-elected. Re yeah. So yeah. 10 years yeah. in office. Yeah. So since we were going all night long, uh, there were there was time to fill because you, you never did know when Sheffield Nelson was going to come out and concede. concede. And uh, you never knew who was going to come up when. So we had uh, a lot of commentary that night. We heard from uh, Paul Greenberg. Uh, from our, the Democrat Gazette. Yes. Yeah. yes. Um, and he talked, since he was with the Pine Bluff commercial, he talked a lot about, you know, South Arkansas and the 4th District. So was he still with the Pine Bluff commercial in 94? No. No, he had been. Yeah, he was at. Yeah. yeah. He was, he but was, since he had been at the Pine Bluff commercial. Right, right. right. And uh, we had a pollster named Ernie Oakleaf. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah, who, who added a lot to that. But we also, from the Democrat Gazette newsroom, we had John Brummett. And uh, he talked in this, in this portion about the national sweep by the Republicans, but how it compared to Arkansas votes. And this, and this night, when the Republicans apparently uh, have swept uh, the House uh, and the Senate, 
the anti-incumbent uh, uh, fever is enormous, anti-government fever is enormous. Here in Arkansas, we've uh, re-elected, uh, uh, well, we've not re-elected, but we've continued our governor, and we've uh, ratified a, a tax. It's, uh, Arkansas voters are quite peculiar sometimes, uh, sometimes refreshingly so. Wow. John Brummett, 27 years ago tonight, talking about national and state, which he still does. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah he, he comes up here a lot yeah. and speaks. But the tax he was talking about in there, they called it the soda pop tax, mm-hmm. and it was to fund Medicare. It was really pushed by Governor Tucker, and the bottlers put in a lot of money to try to get it defeated. It, it passed. Yeah. So uh, that, that was uh, a feather in the cap for the governor at that time. Uh, we also had on set with us uh, the Republican former Governor Frank White and the former Democratic Party chair uh, Skip Rutherford, hmm. who has been dean of the Clinton School. So they would kind of do a point counterpoint, and it's interesting to hear what they have to say uh, here. Nationally, we're seeing a Republican trend, but that's not coming into play here in Arkansas. Doesn't seem to be at all. I mean, we, we are seeing a Republican trend across the country. Um, but here in Arkansas, it looks like uh, very much the same. All the favorites uh, tend to be winning, and uh, uh, Arkansans are exercising their independence by voting overwhelmingly for Jim Guy Tucker and at the same time voting overwhelmingly for Mike Huckabee. It's an independent state, always has been and always will be. Except in the- Well, I think... Uh, oh, go ahead, let, me, <laughs> let me say this. I, I go back to 1980... Uh, uh, when I ran that statewide race and, and won uh, uh, in a huge upset. Uh, and there were 30 counties where I didn't get a vote in 1980, and then I won in the general, in the primary. And so the Republican Party was in its infancy. Uh, I think we had three people in the legislature that were Republicans at that time. We have seen a tremendous growth. Uh, I think, uh, you know, to Sheffield Nelson's credit, he's been a great source of financing uh, to help build the Republican Party. We've got more candidates on the ballot this year than ever before. Uh, I think Tim Hutchinson, Jay Dickey uh, coming back and winning, and certainly Mike Huckabee has to be one of uh, the stars that's on the horizon of the Republican Party. Skip Rutherford and uh, former Arkansas Governor Frank White. I've always wanted to ask this question, Randy. Did you, did you pay... The folks who came on as commentator, as an no. analyst? No. No. You just ask them if they come on? Mm-hmm. Yes. Holy cow. Well, they were usually there sure. to, to promote sure. their newspaper or mm-hmm. the Their party. political, right. Yes. And they, they love doing it. So. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like I love doing this. I... <laughs> And the pay is well the same. Put. Well put. <laughs> Touche. Yeah. Touche, Mr. Dixon. Yes. <laughs> okay. Right. So they, they were there talking about uh, the, the, the Skip was saying that the Democrat state mm-hmm. and uh, Frank White was talking about how the Republican Party was in its infancy and starting to grow. So um, – that's that's the phenomenon of going from blue to red. Right. Well, we've been working for the past few months with John Davis, who's associate professor of political science at UA Monticello, and he's been working on a book about the state going from blue to red. And he's been conducting interviews with our cameras uh, for several months now, uh, interviewing uh, prominent political figures here in the state. So I got on the phone with him and asked him about the significance of this 94 election to the Republican Party. The 1990s and the 1994 election, for that matter, uh, in, for the GOP in Arkansas, did not result in a large-scale breakdown of the Democratic stronghold in the state. But this particular cycle and the decade as a whole led to a more competitive Republican Party that was slowly becoming a more palatable political brand among Arkansas voters, who, with exception of Carter and Clinton, had up to that point been favoring Republican presidential candidates uh, for the most part for a few decades. But they had not yet really fully bought into the Republican Party, uh, which is becoming more and more unusual when we compare Arkansas uh, and the partisan balances of the neighboring states at that time. Uh, However, the 94 midterm elections and the 1990s overall 
uh, it, it's my review in this, it's clear to see that this is where the GOP and Arkansas plant seeds that bear fruit over a decade later. Now, he's got, he, you said he's working on this book. Yes, it'll be out. We're not sure when okay. it'll be out, but uh, when it's released, um, it's, I think it's going to the publisher this, this summer. And when it's released, uh, we will have on our website all of the interviews, the complete interviews that he did in the research for his book. Excellent. And I want to give a shout out to Janine Perry, who has got, who has done a prior center presents presents yes. a discussion about this same uh, thing. Exactly. Blue to red. And I'll mention that she's on our show tomorrow talking about the Arkansas poll with Daniel Carruth. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 27 years ago. You know what? Nobody who won that night is still in office. I didn't think about that. Right? I mean, Jay Dickey isn't. No. Lynch Lambert Lincoln isn't. Yeah. Jim Guy Tucker isn't. Mike Huckabee isn't. I mean, three decades. I guess that's not a surprise. I guess not. But I'm not in TV anymore. <laughs> what does that say about me? I'm still here doing <laughs> I was doing Ozarks at large then, and I'm still doing it now. Job security. <laughs> I guess that's what it is. <laughs> Randy Dixon is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History, with us almost every Monday, going back through archives. Going to do it again next week? Absolutely. It's too much fun. Support for KUAF comes from the Walmart Museum, open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 8, and noon to 6 on Sunday on the square in Bentonville. WalmartMuseum.com for more information. On tomorrow's Ozarks at Large, we dig into the latest Arkansas poll with Dr. Janine Perry. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth will ask her about what the poll tells us about how Arkansans feel about their elected officials and the future of the state and the country. And we catch up with the music director for the Glenn Miller Orchestra. Some of the most popular songs of his era or any era, songs like Moonlight Serenade, uh, in the Mood, tunes that everyone knows, and if you don't know it by name, then you definitely recognize it. The Glenn Miller Orchestra is coming to Walton Arts Center Veterans Day night, Thursday, and we'll deliver a preview on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 and streaming through KUAF.com. Carl Schubert, professor of practice and associate director of the data science program at the U of A, spent 35 years working in industry before coming back to the University of Arkansas to help create the multidisciplinary data science program. In the latest edition of Short Talks from the Hill, he discusses the unusual path back to the university and his general desire to inspire innovation in students. I was viewed by the faculty as what I called non-denominational. That is that I wasn't in a department specifically, I was working for three deans, and so I didn't have any particular favoritism to any particular department or any particular college. Schubert also discusses creation of the Multidisciplinary Data Science Program and a National Science Foundation grant to support low-income students interested in studying innovation in science, technology, engineering, and math. You can listen through the on-air and programs link at KUAF.com or at ArkansasResearch.uark.edu. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers, and Marble. 91.3 KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. You can keep up to date with us by subscribing to our free KUAF Ozarks at Large daily email newsletter. It's free. It only comes to you once a day in the afternoon, Monday through Friday. To sign up for free, just go to KUAF.com. Timothy Dennis produced today's show. Contributors included Matthew Moore, Daniel Carruth, and Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Our theme is titled First to Raw. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. You can catch us again tomorrow at noon and 7 with a brand new Tuesday edition of Ozarks at Large. We do have a podcast version of our show. It's free to download or to subscribe to through any of the major podcast distributors. Thanks so much for being with us on this Monday from the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville. I'm Kyle Kellams. Take care of yourself. We'll talk again soon.